Welcome back to a new episode of the TPL pod. I know it's been a few weeks. I'm sorry. I got married and went on a honeymoon and uh, that's my fault, but we're back today. And in today's episode, we are joined by arguably the greatest reliever in college baseball history, a guy who saved my ERA many times and one of my best friends, David Berg. The guy has a list of accolades that we could spend an episode literally listing, but I'll share a few of my personal favorites. As a freshman walk-on, he set a Pac-12 record for appearances with 50, only to break his own record the next year with 51 on his way to being named the Pac-12 Pitcher of the Year, an honor never before won by a reliever. And then he did it again, winning the award two years later as a senior. A Team USA member and a draft pick of the Chicago Cubs, David found success throughout his career with his ability to compete, his conviction in himself, and his ability to recognize the importance of knowing himself and learning how to improve. Now, a coach at UCLA, David offers great insight into what it's like working with the pitching staff alongside Coach Savage, how the college game has evolved in just a few short years, and what matters to the coaching staff when recruiting for the program. So now, without further ado, let's get into it. David, thanks for joining me today, man. Yeah, no problem. Always good talking to you, brother. Yeah, it's, it's always a joy to sit down with you. I appreciate you taking some time. Usually our relationship isn't quite so professional, but I appreciate you making it so today. No, absolutely. It'll be fun. Be yeah. Best in baseball. Nice. Um, so I want to talk to you a little bit about your transition from playing to coaching now, uh, sort of UCLA, and, and obviously your career there as a player was exceptional. Um, and then I want to do get into it a little bit now as a coach, how you've made your own transitions, your personal adjustments and sort of things that you've taken from your playing career that you've started to implement there now. Um, But first let's start with you. So you grew up in Southern California, you went to Bishop Amat and you were an overhand right-handed reliever like the rest of us. Yeah, no, I mean, I, the story's kind of crazy because um, it was my junior year. I had my freshman year, sophomore year, freshman year on freshman team, sophomore year on JV. And both year I was like the best pitcher on the team, like, you know, our, our ace, whatever. And then junior came around and it was all of a sudden I was not the best pitcher on the team. Uh, we had three guys uh, who are already committed D1, another one who ended up going D1, and then uh, a third baseman who was closing who threw 95. So <laughs> I mean, we're looking at, you know, now two guys who pitched in the major leagues, another guy who pitched in AAA, and then two other guys who played minor league baseball after their college career. So like really exceptional talent around me. And so, you know, one day I was messing around during my flat ground, just throwing a back sidearm and the ball had some natural run and bite to it. That was, was nice. And uh, our coach had actually done it before with a couple of guys to, to transition people and it looked like I was a good candidate. You know, I was all of five, 10, 140 pounds at the time, you know, really scrawny, not throwing nearly as hard as these other guys not looking like a college body, like just all the things that go against right. not the not the type of guys that get recruited to big D1s at least. Um, so I, I might have found a role somewhere in D2 or D3, you know, competitive guy. Thought I had a good slurve. I called it a curveball, but now I know it's more of a slurve, you know, that mm-hmm. I could throw for strikes. But realistically, I'm not sure how far I would have gone over the top, you know, thrown. I just wasn't naturally gifted like that, and I was behind the eight ball in terms of strength training and arm arm care, long toss, arm strength. So decided to make the transition and it was a little bumpy at first. It was 
I wasn't getting hit, but I was not able to control it very well. I uh, wasn't able to really throw anything but a fastball at first and then was able to make that transition. Uh, we started that right before my junior year in February. And then by, you know, the, the, the following year when I started my senior year after doing it for a full year is really when it took off for me. Okay. So you, <clears throat> what, when you were trying to get recruited to schools and you're throwing overhand and all of a sudden they see you throw in from a totally different angle as a totally different guy, obviously you had to sacrifice some velo to do that. Was the reaction from schools, wow, this is cool. This could work. Or was it like, man, we got to find you, you felt like you had to find the perfect fit. What, how would, what about your mindset when that, going into that process? Honestly, Zach, I wasn't dead set on playing college baseball. Um, I wanted to go to college, but for academic, re- academic reasons, uh, that's what my parents wanted for me. And so I always had really good grades in schools. I was talking to, you know, the schools where I was applying is where I was talking to about playing baseball. They weren't recruiting me. It was, hey, I play baseball. I think I'm pretty good. Would you be able to, like, have me on your team as a walk-on, whatever? A um, couple of schools were like, yeah, you look, you look good. Looks like you could have a spot. Some other ones. Uh, were telling me that yeah we have tryouts here and then and so those are the, the ones that are funny is I was I was going to go to I won't name the school to be fair but I was going on an academic scholarship there before I I decided to go to UCLA and the coach still wasn't returning my calls and her emails and stuff and then you know a couple of years later I'm in, I'm pitching in the College World Series and I get an email from him being like wow it would have been really nice to have you on our team so my bad man <laughs> yeah. I mean but at the same time you, you never know how that stuff's going to transition from high school to college and um, you know it wasn't it wasn't like he needed to offer me any type of deal for me to come he knew I was coming so uh, it's just funny how it all worked out because I wasn't dead set on playing college baseball and then like you said my senior year I started you know the velocity picked up I was you know, my first year doing it was like 74. That's not good enough. And then that next year I was like 79, 80. And so I started to have a lot of success, which is really where the offers came from. It's just, you know, that's still not lighting up the radar gun, but the, the success was enough where I started to get some interest and, and go from there. So you end up at UCLA after not going to wherever you were going to go. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you're immediately competing often in a lot of games pitched in, I think, 50 games as a freshman. What, you know, there's no way you'd ever worked like that. What allowed you physically to step into a role where one, you were ready to compete at the college level, but two, you were ready to meet the demands of being the most used guy in the country. Yeah. I I would answer that question twofold because they're, I mean, very separate reasons. Um, As far as the ability to be durable like that, I would say that I had always had a natural rubber arm. Uh, it helps when you're not throwing very hard. Uh, obviously, the sidearm motion is is less stressful on your shoulder. So then you really only got to focus on your elbow and arm care there. Um, I did do a ton of band work and different things for my shoulder. But um, I think the durability just came from I threw every day, no matter what, you know, unless it was season. Uh, in season, I would usually take Wednesdays off with the college schedule um, if I needed to take a day. But even then, that wasn't a certainty. Um, and I just, I felt like I prepared for what I wanted my body to be able to do, which was to be able to throw every day. So it didn't have to be high intensity, but I like to get a good amount of volume and length in my long toss. Um, just so my arm knew what to expect, right? You, you trained your arm for what it wanted to be probably contributed to why I never threw 95, right? Cause I didn't train to throw 95. I trained for the ability to throw every day and all the time. And so I think that that's part of the durability piece, um, to be able to do it that often. I, I really can't answer that. That's um it, it, it came natural to a certain extent i definitely think there was some arm care to it but uh part of it was the fact that it's low velocity and and just didn't bother me 
you know, coach wouldn't have thrown me that often if I wasn't telling him I'm good to go. So right. kind of how it works is uh, most people, are, they don't feel good enough. So they tell them no, but I was fine. and just Or you it. see it very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Right. And kids aren't actually able to go out there and, and deal with it. So, um, and then as far as being able to compete right away, I don't remember, or I don't know if you remember, but my freshman year fall, I remember getting tally whacked. I mean, it didn't go well. It was a, it was a older offensive roster. You know, we had five guys that ended up getting drafted at the top of the lineup, all basically left-handed hitters um, with, I mean, the exception of Trevor Brown, who was a major leaguer. So I got hit my freshman year, like no doubt. I, I went in there and got a, a little bit of an awakening, like, okay, you need to figure out how to get lefties out a little better and um, just really get to know yourself. That's, we talk about it all the time here at UCLA still to this day is just knowing yourself and knowing your strengths and knowing what you need to do. And so, so going along with that, I think the reason I was able to compete is one, my teammates, um, I was a major ground ball pitcher and I had awesome defenders, obviously major leaders in Pavaleka, Trevor Brown, Kevin Kramer, you know, going around the infield. Um, so Tyler Heineman, a major leader catching me. So I had some guys supporting that's me. That's a pretty there. good infield. Yeah. That's, you know, obviously there's no slouches anywhere on the field at UCLA, but I mean, that's that, that roster, you look at that defense and it for a ground ball pitcher, that's ideal. Uh, and obviously a junior catcher to handle you when you're a freshman and your emotions might not be the best. The other part would be just good coaching is coach early on put me in positions to succeed. Um, he wasn't putting me in in bad matchups against big left-handed hitters who are going to, you know, hammer the ball off me. He was putting me into situations where I could gain some confidence against good right-handed matchups and then get myself more confident. Cause as a, you know, scrawny little walk on, you're not confident fully in yourself until you go out there and you do it yourself. So mm-hmm. you put me in positions to succeed and slowly gave me more and more rope to go out there and do more things. And um, obviously, you know, it's funny to say limited exposure in 50 appearances, but early on until I got into a rhythm and really coach got to know me and how to pitch call me and stuff, it was limited exposure until we got into that rhythm and how we were going to pitch and how we were going to go about it. So I think it was really a combination of, you know, good teammates and good coaching, putting me into positions to succeed. And then the, the mental game aspect that I learned that year with uh, the late Ken Revisa really helped me personally when I was out there. You know, I'm, I'm a high energy guy. You know that and anybody who knows me know that. But it was hard for me at first to keep my emotions and my adrenaline low and um, from getting out of hand. So he really helped me slow the game down and um, be able to compete at my highest level, which is somewhere in between a six and an eight, not a 10. <laughs> I'm at a 10, I'm out of control and a spaz. So really be able to slow it down and stay in control. It sounds like now you, you definitely are very aware of what allowed you to succeed. As a freshman and sophomore in that transition, you'd been used a lot. I know you're calling it limited exposure, but we're still going to give you credit for 50 appearances. And then you come back the next year and you end up winning the Pac-12 Pitcher of the Year Award as a reliever, which had never been done. Was there something that you elevated your game in-game where you're saying like, you know, maybe I knew I, he didn't set me up against big lefties. But at that point, if you're going to go be the Pac-12 pitcher of the year, now you got to go get the big lefty out. Was there something that you changed? Was it a confidence? Was it a comfort? Or did you just learn more? Yeah, I would, I would, I always joke with people that I was totally unconscious my freshman year. You know, I, I put my work in that I need to do. And like I said, I worked the mental game the best I could, but I didn't know what was going on. I was just, like I said, I was letting coach do his thing. He calls pitches for me. I don't have to think about that. I got a good defense behind me. I'm just going to go out there and compete. I had no idea what was going on. It did feel like that sophomore year coming back still didn't obviously didn't know everything, 
but at least I had been there and all that just felt more natural and I could kind of anticipate pitch calls and um, different situations. And we had, again, more trial and error for how to get those guys out. I would say that um, in those situations, if I was in against a bad matchup, we learned it's just, hey, just don't give up damage to them. Either try to pitch to them to get them to hit a ground ball, or if you walk them, you walk them, and we just go get the next guy. Um, so it was learning more and more about myself and, you know, your limitations because I had limitations in terms of my ability. And so it's like, Hey, if you, if this is a guy who could do damage and lose us the game, let's either walk him, you know, pitch around him, or let's just see if he's patient enough. Cause he wants to win the game. He's the guy for them. If he wants to win the game, let's see if he rolls over on a ball because he's trying to do it. And more often than not, he also up. probably feels pretty confident in the matchup going, this guy's a lefty sinker baller. I'm going to get something into my barrel right now. And you might get a real aggressive hitter up there. Exactly. No, I think I, I definitely used guys aggression against them more often than not because they knew I was going to throw enough strikes where they, I wasn't going to walk them. But in those situations, I was willing to. So I allowed them to see enough of the ball where they were going to swing and then it to be in a position where they weren't going to do damage. If they got a hit, if they had a, a laser single, I'm like, OK, cool, whatever. It's the same as a walk. But right. I was just going to put the ball in an area where they couldn't end the game on us. So. Right. No, that makes sense. So as you kind of progress to your college career, <clears throat> Obviously, you just continue to dominate. I guess there was, you know, I know you dealt with a little bit of injury, but for the most part, you were out there all the time and you were very successful. When you got drafted and transitioned into the professional game, were there certain things now that had worked that you needed to change or did you kind of roll in and still with the same mindset of I'm dominating and there's no reason for me to stop dominating or did you have to make adjustments? I was very confident at that point. Like you said, I mean, obviously... I, I did what I did at my career at UCLA where there was no reason for me to doubt that was ever going to stop. In my mind, I was a major leader in, in the waiting, right? Which hindsight was foolish, but at the same time, I had no reason. Well, that's to where doubt. you need to be. Yeah. I had that mindset. And so it carried over my first year, year and a half, really. I mean, I, I got into pro ball and, you know, I had no idea they were going to do this, but I, I pitched in Arizona once I pitched in uh you know, short season twice and, after my second outing, I'd been there for five days and they're telling me I'm going to high A. And I was like, okay, like I'm down, but I had no idea that was going to happen. So obviously making major jumps into high A ball is a first year guy. I, I mean, I showed up and everybody else was like, why is this guy here? And then I went out there and by the end of the year, I was closing in the playoffs for them. So wow. I, I felt confident that carried over for a while. And then I would say I get, get to double A and the first day I'm there. Um, I, again, am getting put into a situation in extra innings with uh, coming in with a first and second nobody out situation, get my first ground ball to a, to a lefty, whatever, grounds out to second base, get one out, and then there's runners on first and third, and I throw the typical OO slider that I had thrown a million times to high school or college hitters and even to, you know, those high guys, and the OO slider got ripped to left center, <laughs> walked off, and it was like, okay, this is a little different. This that used to be a free pitch. Yeah, this is a grown man's game. So as I got there, I, I, I did have some early success. Obviously, that's a failure moment. But um, overall, early success, you know, I, I was going into July-ish um, with around a two five three, like doing well. And then July just blew up on me. I mean, I the, the league started to see me a second time through. So I was, you know, those those older hitters, man, they're, they're so good once they've seen a guy. And so I had some some early success because there was lack of, you know, knowledge of me, but once those teams saw me again, the flaws that I had in my, you know, pitching and, you know, inability to do certain things really showed up, which, um, you know, it was made me successful in college, but the whole time I knew I was tipping my slider, you know, I knew that I 
wasn't throwing a good enough changeup. I, I threw it limit, like limited uh, times. And even when I did, it still wasn't a high enough quality pitch. And then I really only had one thing in my bag of tricks, which was pitching down and away to everybody. I didn't, I pitched into some righties when I got into pro ball because, you know, caught the, those catchers wanted to do it. But I mean, I never really pitched into lefties at all. And I never pitched up, which I ended up doing later and having a bunch of success with. So I learned that I need to learn how to throw a slider from a lower slot, which was a very difficult transition for me. Um, I'd always tried to do it um, for a month or two. And then it came to season and like, all right, I don't have it yet. We're going to just stick with, you know, old faithful. Uh, and then just kind of repeated that process. So definitely slowed me down when I got to double A and all of a sudden you're trying to figure that on the fly against guys who are 26 years old and all trying to make the major leagues and honestly on the cusp, you know, the guys who are having some success there. So um, definitely that would be just that I had, had to figure out better secondary options, which was the slider not being tipped and the change of being better. And then having more options with the fastball, because if you become predictable to those guys, they just have such complete swings and, you know, good hitting mindsets when they go to the plate that you're just going to get beat. So yeah, it's, it's very difficult to, to fool somebody twice with the same thing. If it doesn't look the same to your point, you know, like this, the, a little higher slot on a slider does show up and that's, that is a challenge, man. But I think that's so hard. It's something you're not always aware of, or, you know, maybe to an extent, but you don't know just how significant it becomes until you play better competition and they start to, you know, really expose you for it. That's oh. when it, that's the hardest part of learning is, you know, to your point, you cruised and had always had success. And now all of a sudden it's in season, you got to make these adjustments. That's not a, that's not a fun spot to be. Yeah. No. And then for that reason, going back to your earlier points, like, did you, were you able to keep the same confidence? It definitely took that confidence away that I had. I was then trying to make adjustments on the fly, doing okay with it. You know, I came back the next year, they told me they wanted me to try and throw harder. So then I was raising my slot I was throwing my old slider. I was throwing from higher. I threw a touch 91 in, in spring and whatever, but it's like, it's not as successful. Like I'm mm -hmm. still getting hit. I can't control it when I'm trying to throw max effort like this. Um, it's elevated more. It's less like true downer sing for like, versus like kind of two seam run. Right. It wasn't successful. So then kind of transitioning back again, post spring training, it was, it was kind of a mess just because I was, then doubting my ability and trying to make adjustments all the time rather than what made me so successful before, which was I knew what I needed to do. I practice it and I could repeat it all the time. And I just mm -hmm. don't do that anymore. So maintaining confidence when it starts to go south is another, that's another task in and of itself that requires you, a journal, a dark room, a lot of self-talk. It's not, really. I mean, yeah. It's hard when you don't have, you know, I know you talked about Ken, when you don't have the meeting with Ken that morning where you like the kind of the get right feelings, that's such, it's a challenging spot to be in, you know? And, and I think to your point, knowing what allowed you to be successful the first time and knowing this routine and feeling comfortable with yourself is really the only way to get there. You know, even if you forget for a minute who you are, you're here for a reason. And I think a lot of guys oftentimes forget that, that, you're not here because you're pretty good. You're here because you're really, really, really good. And you've yeah. proven that your whole life. So, you know, I, but it is, it's, it's a, it's a definite battle between you and yourself. And that's, I mean, transitioning to the coaching piece is like, I've realized now there's ways that you can install confidence in players um, on a day-to-day -day basis. That's going to help them. And, and the same thing, knowing I never understood when guys didn't have confidence in themselves because I was just rolling on this 
six-year success period from my senior year of high school to maybe my first year of pro ball. And so it was like hard for me to relate. And now that experience was huge for me just because now I understand when things aren't going your way, you can't just tell yourself, I'm going to get this guy out because you, you aren't sure. You better, you better believe it if you're going to say it. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it was definitely a valuable experience for me to go through that struggle because I think there's some guys that coach in pro ball that net, you know, 10 league big leaders that didn't really ever have that bad of failure. And they're just like, come on, man, just throw, throw, throw strikes and, you know, mix your pitches and you'll be fine. And it's like, no, yeah. not necessarily. <laughs> I don't know where the plate is, let alone where the, what a strike is right now. So as you transition into coaching, we can talk a little bit about that. So as you've transitioned into coaching, has that been your biggest takeaway, you think, is how you can impact guys mentally to make them better? Or are you a pretty mechanical coach working with pitchers? I mean, I, I obviously I'm working with, with Coach Savage, so it's not um... – totally on my own to do things right of course a lot of the mechanical stuff that we're doing we both kind of talk about and then we implement um so it's not necessarily i leave more of the mechanical stuff to coach on most things um if we discuss it great but i don't really want to get into it because i know he's so good at it and already mm -hmm. focusing on it so i try and focus at the other parts um and i i think that my biggest experience right now is i'm being i'm back at ucla where i went to school and i was in these guys shoes you know five years ago um, so for these guys, I can really relate to their just overall daily life and what they're going through and what they need to nail so that, you know, you can cut, just come to the ball field and perform and, um, just trying to impact their lives overall as student athletes is a big thing. And then there's just certain things that I, I do feel like I can help strongly on and that it's, you know, that I, I feel like I do a really good job with helping guys develop their breaking ball and their off speed pitches, their changeups and stuff. Um, just, just feel like I, could, I have a knowledge of a bunch of different grips, having been through pro ball and seeing how guys throw different pitches and, um, and how to utilize them and mindset keys and stuff to help them develop. No, that makes sense. You are, I mean, it is an interesting role where you're working with coach Savage, who is, you know, great. I mean, he's the best pitching coach in the country, in my opinion, but you know, he's excellent mechanically. And so you are in a little bit of a different role where, you, you know, a lot of coaches, the first thing they do when they see a guy is go like, Hey man, you know, lift balance a little better over the rubber, keep your head here, whatever it is. But yeah. with you, you have to take a little bit of a different approach. So what is, when you, when you find like a freshman is, are there certain guys you really find yourself connecting with? Like, it's probably pretty easy to really like, I don't know, gel with the guy who's rolling, but like, are you, do you find yourself seeking out the guy who might need a little, a little love at times? For sure. I think, I mean, as a college coaching staff, you have to focus on your main guys who are going to be out there and competing every day. I think the biggest thing I've brought to the program is helping the back end of the pitching staff or even the middle of the pitching staff raise to another level. You know, obviously during games, I'm in the bullpen. So being able to be in the bullpen, you know, talking to guys right before they go into the game, making sure they're in the right frame of mind, you know, you can tell pretty quickly when you've been around enough that a guy is a little jittery. You can see a little shake in their fingers heart's going fast, you know, they make a bad pitch and they're saying repeat as quickly as they can. <laughs> or, or, you know, a guy that may be like just kind of taking it like lackadaisical, some of the experienced guys who might be messing around, like having to get them back a hey, lock in, like you're about, you're about to go in the game, like play time's over, let's get on it. So I, I think that's probably, like you said, more of my thing is the, those frontline guys, those, those top five, six guys, coaches around him all the time. He's got, you know, he throws his starters two bullpens a week. So he sees them a ton. Um, those top end relievers, he's watching them every day and catch play and, and, you know, talking to them after their outings and stuff, but the guys who don't pitch as much, 
um, that's who I really felt like in the last couple of years, I've been able to help a lot because they're still getting that attention, which it's just, it, it's impossible for one pitching coach to really focus on 16 guys in season. For sure. You know? So it's, 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 I feel like it's really helped those guys, you know, elevate their level, you know, continue to progress, even if they're not pitching, getting better for the future. And then those middle guys who are going to, you know, they're going to pitch, but they're not going to pitch that often getting them ready to go so that when they get in the game, they're, you know, at their highest level. But you need that guy the year after. So even if he's not, you know, you, you, you don't want to be starting at ground zero in year three with somebody. Oh, for sure. And I, I mean, trust me, credit to coach. He doesn't, he doesn't favor guys at all. Like he's, he's on every single guy, but it's just there. It's still limited how much he can give to each guy considering there's only so many hours in the day. He's got to scout every single other team. He's putting in tons of hours to that. Um, so there's just limited hours in the day. And even though he barely sleeps, he's <laughs> still limited at some point. So I just trying to step in where I can to fill those any holes there are there. Right. But to your point, if you, if you show up and you're shoving, you know, you were the recruited walk on submarine kid who pitched in 101 games in two, in his first two years. I don't, I don't think that was on the board of coach Savage's office the year before. <laughs> so <laughs> no way he didn't know my name until June. And all of a sudden the next year I'm pitching for him in Omaha. So yeah, that's a little, a little different. Right. So as a player or as a coach now, what's changed in college baseball? Is the game a little different? I know they've gone back to the, the more realistic baseballs and a little bit juicier bats. Um, has that changed how you guys call pitches? Has it changed how you guys do anything? Or do you feel like it's the same game you were playing very recently? I think that um, just the overall how the game's played, I would say that the overall approach has changed, right? So before when the bats were a little more dead and the baseball was a little more dead, people couldn't hit the ball out of the ballpark. So people were having better hitting approaches, hitting the ball way more, you know, able to sit on off speeds and, and stuff like that. Whereas now the approach has changed where it's, you know, launch angle, lift it, hit for damage, you know? So the pitching approach changes just based off the approach, not necessarily the bats, you know, obviously um, we're not going to let that affect us, but, just the overall approach, the players on the other side know that the bats and balls have changed. So you know that you have to pitch them differently based off that. So, so you've seen uh, the, the transition that's happened in professional baseball has definitely impacted college baseball as well for approach. Without a doubt. I mean, and it, it all goes down to one thing, which is everybody wants to be a major leaguer. Okay. What are the major leaguers doing? Okay. What are the pro scouts looking for? And that's, you know, so those kids are all transitioning to one and try and do that. So yeah, that it hasn't hit a full a hundred percent speed because they need a certain physicality to be able to execute the launch angle and lift and hit for damage approach. Does you, does you no good to fly out to the track? <laughs> exactly. You're going to be hitting 200 with, you know, five bombs, but like you're just going to not play very much because you don't have any quality of bats. You can't move base runners. You're going to strike out more and all that stuff. So I would say there's definitely a, a shift towards it. And it, it is very evident in a lot of other teams that we play, not necessarily UCLA. Um, we've transitioned to it at a limited capacity, which is, you know, we want to get the ball in the air. We're not trying to hit the ground, ball on the ground, but we also know that we're not just going to go up there and bang and try and hit four solo home runs and strike out 15 times a game. Right. You know, we're going to play a little more offense than that. So I think it's just the, the way the game's played. It's just the balls and bats have influenced a little bit. And then players know that that's what pro teams are looking for. So that's how they're gearing their approaches and everything. So, um, and coaches know that. So they gear their recruiting. Hey, this is what we do here. Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Kind of like a back and forth between players and coaches. Okay. Players want this. So I'm going to emulate this. Right. Yeah. But you still got to win baseball games and, and there's, you know, it's a, in a college game where there are a few more balls kicked than in a professional game or, 
you know, there's more, there are more walks issued by the pitching staff than in a pro game. There's other ways to win games in college. So it isn't, I understand why you wouldn't implement it hundred percent. It's just, it's a slightly different game. Yeah. If you take a little bit off your swing and foul off a good pitch on, on two, two or whatever, you raise your chance of getting a walk or if on a dirty O2 pitch, you go butt out and roll the ball to the shortstop, you might kick it. Whereas you die in pro ball, you just might as well walk the dugout. You're out. Right. So, like you said, like it's, you want to transition a little bit to what the pros are doing, but it's just, it's, you're not pros. And so you can't play the game fully like that. You're not going to, you know, play for the most possible wins you can get. So. Right. So as a school like UCLA, where you guys get, you know, pretty much the recruits you want to get, are, are you secretly looking for David Bergs around the country to, to find guys maybe to drop down or? No, I, I wouldn't say we look for guys to drop down. Um, there's been the conversation with one or two guys or whatever, and, and that's over three years. I mean, but like you said, there's just that conversation, you know, later in my coaching career, if I'm somewhere else, um, you may need to have that thought more often, but you know, any, like the, the one guy that comes to mind that we talked about and eh, maybe dropping down the player was even bringing it up like, cause I was here. And then all of a sudden this year, he's throwing 90, 92 from the <laughs> side and, you know, leading the team in strikeouts for the fall. It's like, yeah, we don't really need to do that with anybody until it's a last ditch resort, you know, right. too many talented arms. So I don't, I, I think that there's a ton of value in it for sure. But if, unless you're seeing somebody like I like, you know, that had a ton of success with it already in high school that you might pick up or maybe even a JC guy, but just doesn't really make a lot of sense for a UCLA to, to drop down a, a guy until it's, you know, you have no chance and you need to do this, but we have, I realize logically, I'm just saying maybe a little bit selfishly for fun for you to have oh, for sure. I a, think guy that you, a guy that you could implement wisdom on very, very directly. Yeah, no, I, I definitely, I've, I've worked with some high school kids during my, my pro career and uh, I definitely feel like I can communicate well to those guys what they need to do and stuff. Obviously, it's not going to lead them to my success directly. I mean, there's got a, there's a list of things that have to go on for anything like that to happen, but at least to help them have more success in high school and give them a chance to play in college because it it has value and it's it's really not as hard as people make it out to be. I it mean, definitely extends guys' careers who yeah. wouldn't otherwise. Yeah, for sure. And so it's it like I said, I think there'd be more of that conversation if I'm ever a pitching coach somewhere else. Um, but here at UCLA, like you said, we're getting you know all the top recruiting classes. We aren't really going to go trade a chance at a low slot guy versus a guy we know is going to be a future ninety plus arm and you know, six, four type thing. Right. So as you're getting the guys you want, um, is there obviously like a lot of kids want to come there, you know, the the program recruits itself at this point, I kind of think you guys are elite top to bottom. Are there really like distinguishing factors where you guys have to really do your homework on guys because you have so much free reign to, to get who you want? Yeah, I think along with that, though, there, there becomes a challenge that there's a race for those guys, you know, um, obviously, at an early age, there's other schools that are willing to offer freshmen that we're not ready to offer necessarily. And, you know, we may miss on somebody who's really good, but they weren't good enough yet for UCLA. But, you know, if there's other schools that are offering 70% scholarships, and we're not ready to do that, those kids might bite early on them. And, and for us, it's like, ah, oh, you should have waited, like we told you we were interested, but hey, you know, all good, totally understand. Um, but I, I think that we look into what coaches say about you and what teammates say about you and um, just try and find out more about people's character, right? Because, you know, you've seen it when you've come to school. There's plenty of guys who are super talented, but may have been a bad recruit, to be honest, to come to UCLA because they weren't a UCLA guy. 
Um, there's also the, the factor of grades, you know, obviously guys, we all want to be major leaguers, but for a lot of guys, it probably should go through the route of college. Um, so the signability factor, you know, and you know, how much, you know, a kid really wants to come to school. Does he sound like he really wants to be a Bruin or does he just like playing baseball and people are telling him that's where you should go to school. So really finding out how invested they are in being a Bruin truly. And then the grades factor, you know, of if they get terrible grades, when it comes time to signing day, it's like, do I want to go to UCLA where it's, it's not rigorous, but it's definitely time intensive. You got to put the work in, um, in terms of getting your schoolwork done. So right, is this kid, if he's terrible at grades and he's, he's either going to come to school and be a problem every quarter about being eligible, or he's going to, you know, not come to school because, you know, he's more, he more cares about baseball and doesn't really want to come deal with grades and having to go to class. So, um, character is obviously number one because we got to find the right fit the guy who is a Bruin and that's you know treats teammates and his parents and his coaches respectfully um you know you can you can trap kids into just having a normal conversation with them and they'll naturally trash their teammates or their high school coaches or you know you'll see him out when they're recruiting and being disrespectful to their parents or their coaches or something or just being a dog on the field you know there's there's the right way that we want people to play baseball and it's very clear you know okay that kid yeah, when he knows the lights are on, the scouts are going, he can show up. But is he going to be a guy who works, you know, works it every day of his career to really get better and bring the most out of him? Yeah, we're not sure about that. That's not a detailed guy that we want. So there's a lot more factors in this, just the talent level for sure. And that's a challenge. That's, I don't think there's not a ton of programs in the country who are probably in the position where, you know, you may turn away elite talent because of the dude, but it really does matter at that when you're forming a team that's trying to compete in the, you know, the region where you guys are competing, it's got to be everyone pulling in the same direction, especially in a college format where it's so tight. Oh yeah. I mean, it, uh, at certain programs, you just have to take the jump on that guy on the talent and just hope you can mold him into being that player. And we, we think that we can do that as well. You know, we might be able to take some guys that weren't Bruins that we make into Bruins before they leave here. It's definitely possible to help build guys character, but it's nice when they show up ready to have it and you have the right guys, you know, for the job. Like you said, it's, it's easiest if all 35 guys are pulling the same, the same way. And if it's more team first than me first, for sure. For sure. So after a weird messed up, no Omaha appearance in 2020, but no fault of your own. Yeah. What's, what's the 2021 Bruins outlook looking like? We really like our team. I mean, coach would probably downplay us a little more than I would, I, but you know, uh, we like our team, you know, our, uh, it's an older group offensively returning a couple fifth year seniors that we never thought we would be back with um, that are just really mature at bats that, you know, what you're going to get every time uh, really good kids. You know, we have some talented ju- a junior class that could have as many as like 11 guys drafted out of it between the offense and defense or offense and pitching, excuse me. So um, there's, there's a lot of talent on the team, but it's overall still a young team in terms of, you know, games in the Pac-12. We didn't play any Pac-12 games last year. And so it was a group before that was sophomores that, all right, you just watched all these guys in 19 when we were the number one seed. Okay. But you don't have them to carry anymore. We had our shortstop and our catcher were on that team. Right. So other than that, none of you have really played in meaningful Pac-12 games. So it, it was time for them to show it. And early on in the season, they were, but you know, that was 15 games. So it's a little different than when you get into exactly what we talked about earlier, that confidence game, when they start to have some failure, um, what, how are they going to respond? Are they going to, you know, bury themselves? Are they going to get into a, a, a big ditch or are they going to be able to climb out of it and, you know, make it a short wave of failure? You know? No, that's very, very, very well stated. 
that's important that's important for me to hear sometimes <laughs> but no i mean we our pitching staff too we, we get most everybody back we lost our closer which is a big hole to fill um just because he was pitching at an elite level stop of the year two years ago and he was a much better pitcher last year i mean leaps and bounds better and so we were excited for his season and disappointed it got cut short but mm-hmm. uh to return everybody else back i mean to return your entire weekend rotation that's a, a really big plus that we're excited about and then you know some sophomores and juniors that haven't necessarily pitched very much but are really talented that are going to get their their shot this year so awesome we're deep all around good man well obviously i'm selfishly happy to hear that the squad's in good shape um i appreciate you taking the time man i really think it's cool you know you're obviously a very approachable person in life, but to kind of hear for kids, you know, what we like to, to do at the pros is to sort of just provide information. And so to hear like, you know, this is an elite program in college baseball, but what matters number one here is character. Like we're just not going to take a bad dude. And I think, you know, a lot of the kids and I don't know, maybe this is just, you know, dad yells at clouds in my shoes, but like just so everything has become so like, you know, tag yourself on the top 100 rankings list or whatever it may be how hard far can you hit it you know right exit below from the outfield throws like just all this eyewash stuff that i mean it matters but if you don't have the the character and the person behind it to really make make it count you're not going to go anywhere right if you can't get a jump we don't really care how fast you can run your 60 if you're getting beat in the gap because you don't know how to read a fly ball I've seen plenty of guys who are really fast that can't steal bases. I've seen, like you said, plenty of guys who are really fast that don't go catch the ball very well. You know, guys with strong arms that can't throw it accurately, so it doesn't matter either. Um, pitchers who throw really hard that don't throw enough strikes to compete, you know. Right. So there's just – there's so many more factors than just the, you know, numbers on the page that, you know, those are great if you have them, but we're going to take a guy with maybe a little less numbers on the page that, you know, plays the game in a more complete way. We're definitely not saying they don't matter. And to your point, like, like you said, we, you've adjusted how you're out, the team battles offensively. We're not just, you know, trying to shoot balls around. We are trying to drive the baseball, but I need you to do it the right way kind of thing. Yeah. We're not just going to on, you know, one, two lift and separate and hope we do well. We're like going to have a solid approach where you get, give yourself a chance to hit some off speed pitches, hit balls away and, you know, keep something going for the offense overall. There's a time to place and to try and do damage and, time and place where you're going to try and have a quality of bat. So um, one thing I would say just for the pros list side that I love what you guys are doing. Um, and this for anyone watching is not an ad by any means. Um, I didn't know in high school where to go lift, where to go, you know, what pitching coach to go use outside of maybe my high school pitching coach. I was very lucky. I had a good high school pitching coach, but I know that's not the case for everybody. Um, so just it's, it's awesome to be able to be connected to, to pros and the other, you know, professionals in the industry that can help them, you know, get better. You know, it's just, it'll be a big asset for these young kids, 14, 15, 16, who want to play in college, who want to play professionally to get started earlier than I did. I mean, I was able to play catch up and make the most of it, but it would have been good at 15 to be seeing a professional. It was was also a little different. It was a little different when you were 15. It was not, you know, the accessibility to information and the, having a, a good place to train near you or finding a qualified pitching coach. Like, like you said, I don't know, not that I didn't work with good people, but it was not like a, there was no path really. You were kind of swimming on your own a little bit. I think, yeah. And, and just, you know, strength training, like back when I, I just did biceps and squats and deadlifts and all these crazy like body beach body or like heavy, like deadlifting type programs that were for the Olympics or late training. That's not how you should train. For <laughs> right. 
that's just not how rotational athletes work. So being able to be connected with good athletic trainers who know how to train baseball athletes, is just a huge asset that, you know, the younger you can get started with it, the better. So. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, man. And hopefully we can continue to provide great resources for people like insight from a guy like yourself. So David, obviously it's always a pleasure when I get to see you and I really appreciate you taking the time to share some of your elite professional knowledge with everyone. It's been very cool and, and the insight's awesome. So thank you very much for joining me. You bet. Anytime, anything for you, man. Of course. Alrighty, brother. Go Bruins. Go Bruins. Easy.